0: Welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I'm joined by Jim Young. Jim is a loving father, he's an executive coach, a teacher, and a professional comedian. And in this week's Act One of Two, second part coming next week, Jim tells about how at the tender age of nine he was asked to take out the trash and then told he was now the man of the house. And for years after, He played peacekeeper and really attempted to fill in shoes that simply were never his to fit into. Jim shares his experience of losing his bunker mate, in this case his sister, and doubling down on a litany of shoulds. You should do this, you should do that, you should be this, you should be that, that were intended to help him draw a map that in adulthood he would come to find out were both as uncomfortable as they were unsustainable it just was not his thing they just didn't fit jim's is fascinatingly a, a story of extraordinarily bold reinvention in the face of circumstances that for many by the way are all too common it's a good conversation Uh, Just a quick reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, let's get into this first part of my conversation with Jim Young. Enjoy. Welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man, Jim Young. It's good to have you here.
1: Thanks a lot, Ken. I'm pretty excited to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks. So let's start where we always start with this. What was it like growing up in your part of the world?
1: Yeah, so my part of the world is a town called Acton, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston, a pretty affluent little town that I grew up in. Uh, And I like to say that I was raised by a a pack of women. I grew up in a single parent household. My mom uh, was raising my sister and I, uh, oftentimes with the help of my grandmother, excuse me. And I've reflected a lot on that over the years. Um, and what I've realized is so much of that was formative. We grew up working class, but sort of on the edge of poverty. Uh, I spent a lot of time kind of comparing myself to what was going on around me in this affluent town with these families that looked like they were whole and told myself a lot of stories about that time. And you know, over the years, realized that there were some really formative things going on there for me around my own identity. I remember when I was nine years old, my mom kicked out a, a live-in boyfriend that was you know, pretty abusive and, and challenging you know, in a lot of aspects for us. And it was time to take the trash out one night um, after he had departed the, you know the, the place we lived. And my mom turned to me and said, well, now you're the man of the house. So uh, you need to take the trash out. And I remember that moment really hitting me um, as like, whoa, I don't know what to make of that. And so I just took the trash out, (laughs) Um, which I think, you know, metaphorically, I I just continued to take the trash out for a really long time, um, you know, and and found my place in that setting uh, in my family of, you know, the the one male figure who was there uh, most of the time. Um, but really a boy trying to do a man's job and and living into that in some ways that developed good skills in some ways that really, you know, created some challenges for me that, um, you know, have take, taken a long time to understand.
0: Yeah, I'm curious, Jim, uh, you know, that expression, a boy trying to trying to do a man's job or, you know, a boy trying to fit a man's shoes. You know, there's all sorts of different places we could go with that. And And I'm curious about when did you realize oh you know uh, that 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 was you i was actually a boy trying to fill x role
1: you know i think it took a really long time to be honest i i was always uh you know pretty uh, high achieving kid whether that was in school or you was know, following the rules and and you know taking care of what was needed in the house. And so I, I, when I reflected back on that moment and kind of done some contemplation or meditation of where I put myself back in that moment, I think there was this glimmer that happened in that that ask that night on a, a Tuesday night, I believe, um, where I, I had this reaction, but then I quickly put it away. Uh, it was a big fear reaction. Um, and I think honestly, it probably took me Um, until I was in my 40s before I really reconciled, you know, doing some therapy work, going through um, coaching training. Uh, It was a a moment where that really showed up for me. So it took a very long time for it to surface that I, I was being given a task back then that I really wasn't up for, but I did it anyway
0: yeah and and the the the, boy there's so much in the metaphor of taking out out the trash i don't want to make more of it than than is there on the one (laughs) hand on the other hand you know what you just said is really telling i was giving given a role and it wasn't about moving the garbage to the curb no no not at all (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah it was really much more about uh keeping things together
1: and Uh, Now, my mom was really struggling in ways that I didn't understand at the time. I could see it in some of her behavior, outbursts of anger and, um, you know, kind of just being uh, chaotic at times. And my sister really rebelling and struggling and and kind of being the one who felt like I needed to keep it together. And so I was I was often the peacemaker, making everybody feel better. Um, And then, you know, whether literally taking out the trash or, you know, metaphorically making sure that things stayed clean um so that we could have a you know a family that felt functional and intact
0: yeah and when you say that uh it was more implicit than explicit but i imagine you know air quotes around the clean
1: yeah it was anything but clean but i think that's what i was aiming for because that felt safe i wanted things to be uh, a lot easier than they actually felt
0: Yeah. And, 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 and again, how old were you at the time?
1: So that happened when I was nine and that's, that just started a, you know, I tipped a domino that continued spiraling for a long time.
0: Yeah. 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 The notion of a, um, and, and, and it's not unusual of course, sadly it's not unusual, but the notion of a child of that age being tasked with, uh, Stepping into shoes that uh, that in so many ways uh, mm. there's just no way of being prepared to hold that kind of responsibility yeah and, and and compounded by the you know what is what rocks are hard the sky is blue facts nine years old, without the sophistication understanding, so much of what um is required.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you know that I'm a, a coach as well, Ken, and so I love the metaphors. Yes. I mean, I, I remember, you know, in that time, I, I have another memory just came to me of lying down in the grass in this apartment complex where I was first asked to take out the trash and lying there one day looking up at the blue sky in this moment of clarity and peace where I just got to be myself. I got to be this kid looking up at the clouds and watching them change shapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one that really... um it hit me while well, I've never thought about it is, you know, wearing those shoes like you know, this little kid putting on the you know the the, the grown up shoes, and I actually when when you said that I was like, wow, I think I felt that way for most of my adult life too. Like really until until about my forties, I felt like I was walking around in some shoes, and I was just hoping nobody else would notice and that I wouldn't trip over them.
0: I, you know, I, 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 again, I think your experience is not unusual looking at the, I want to hear more of your story, but since this is here, we'll look at it we'll, we'll, we'll poke at it a bit. And that is, you know, I don't think it's, it's un, unusual. There's a, um, you know, I know in the work that I do, there's a, you know, one of the things we do is we look at, well, what, you know, what, what are the models, uh, if you will, the models of, of manhood uh that uh, that made their way into your noggin you know whether you were told or whether you uh, told directly or whether you pulled them out of the culture or media you know family church synagogue whatever um and 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 at what age you know did you latch on to those ideas um because one of the things and i love for you to bounce off this because one of the things I see time and time again is that many of us are, you know, we've, we've, we form this mole in young childhood. Again, when we don't have the sophistication where the, the, the understanding, the appreciation to, to know exactly what it is that we're formulating. And then we strive for decades, if not our entire lives to, to fit into that mold, which is a little bit of, we look at it that way. It's a little bit crazy. It's like, Oh, wow. A six-year-old actually made this decision for me. And I've been trying to, you know, fit into that six-year-old's imagination for forever. And I scratch my head and I wonder, well, why isn't this working? So yeah, I can bounce off that a bit, if you will
1: yeah i love that and i think that for me to to consider that i've been asking my nine-year-old self or i was asking my nine-year-old self for that guidance for a long time because that's where it first started for me right And there was never a model. There was there was no explicit model for me. I didn't grow up with a father in the household, and even if I had, that doesn't mean it would have been provided because that conversation doesn't always happen, or those those conversations that help define you know what is manhood or what what is masculinity, or as I've come to understand it, the range of masculinities that we get to, you know, live in as, as healthy men. And so I was inferring it from all sorts of places. I was inferring it from, you know, my teachers at school or from, you know, people that I saw in media, television or movies. My grandfather, who was this stoic John Wayne-like uh, feature who did, never betrayed any emotion. Uh, or my father, who I would see once a week, but who was very withdrawn and, you know, kind of kept things very, you know, surface level um, which I learned a lot more about later on of kind of what was going on for him. But, you know, those models were just, there was nothing explicit. So it was all me making up what it was like. How am I going to be a man? Like, what does that even mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great quote. Well, what does that even mean? Like <laughs> well, places we could go and probably will before this conversation is over. Um, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so, so, take us, uh, take us a little bit farther into your, into your, into your history, your, your adolescence, your young adulthood, uh, moments that that really uh, shaped you, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think the you know one of the other
1: things that stands out immediately is I grew up with a sister who's just barely a year older than me, um, hmm. a year and uh, two two weeks or something like that. And you know we were sort of in this bunker together growing up. We had each other in the midst of a pretty chaotic uh, household situation a lot of the times. And then you know in her early teens, uh, she kind of went away. She went out. She got involved in a lot of risky behaviors, and uh, those those really took over. And I kind of lost my sister. Um, you know, she still was there. She still lived with us, but I didn't see her much. And there was a lot of strife when she was there. And, you know, I really, I found a place of isolation. Um, at that point, I, I sort of lost my bunker mate and that I had a choice there. I don't know if I had a choice there. The choice that I made, uh, probably unconsciously was to just double down on trying to be the good kid, trying to take care of, you know, other people by, um, you know, doing the right thing or picking up an extra task, uh, staying out of the way, not being in trouble. Um, and really, you know, in some ways confined me into this place of you know, what I should do, uh, which I think set in place a, you know, a new pattern uh, or reinforced an old pattern of living the life that I thought I should according to what other people told me or conveyed in some kind of, uh, you know, implicit way
0: i do hope you're enjoying this first part of my conversation with jim young just a quick reminder if you have not yet please do subscribe to mojo for the modern man on your favorite podcasting service let's jump back in yeah fitting yourself into uh not only the nine-year-old mold but then the uh, molds that were you know nine-year-old mold plus you know all these other other aspects of the mold being put on top of it
1: yeah and in this this uh, community that I grew up in, there were plenty of outward signs of success as as I perceived them uh, wealth status um, academic achievement especially was was big ninety two percent of my high school class went to college i believe a four year college so I went to college. I didn't know why I just uh-huh. knew that i I could because I was a good student. And that's what everybody else did. So that's what I should do. I had no idea why, what I wanted to do, but I did it because that's what I was supposed to.
0: Mm -hmm. And pursued what? So
1: I I ended up going to the University of Massachusetts. And uh, I I said, well, I'm going to go into the business school because my dad's in business. He's in marketing. I ended up being a marketing major really my only thought process as to why i made those decisions um you know it's fine i think that happens with a lot of folks and a lot of people have a degree that they look at and they say that's nothing like what i do it was just a very unconscious choice uh that i made that was it sounded like the
0: right thing to do yeah and 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 when did you find out that it wasn't That it was a thing to do rather than the right thing to do.
1: Oh, there might be a pattern here, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably going to say my 40s again Um, because I I stayed on that shuttle. Um, You know, I graduated college in four years and I then went out into the working world and I had a marketing degree. So I said, well, what do you do with a marketing degree? You go into either marketing or sales. I chose sales. And it was a terrible fit. I tried out a few different kinds of jobs for a few years, and you know, I I, I love uh, saying this now. I used to say it was some shame. My very first job out of college was selling cable TV door to door. That was that's what I envi- you know, that's what I came up with was all right. And it was a tough economy; jobs weren't that plentiful. I hadn't been the most engaged student, so I hadn't pursued internships. And I was like, well, I could do this, and it was fun, and I made some money. Um, but I hated sales. And so I hit my mid twenties and got into a, I was in a, my first career crisis when I was 25. I was like, I'm not a salesperson. What the hell am I doing? Yeah. And I had to then, you know, say, okay, now let me reinvent and, and figure things out.
0: And what did you reinvent?
1: Well, so I, I, I was in survival mode. I just started getting jobs, temp jobs, and I landed at a company that I ended up, I was a temp, and I I was doing work that sort of edged into technical work, and you know, to shorten the story, I ended up in IT in 1997, 98 because Y2K was coming, the Y2K bug, and they needed bodies, and I got hired into an IT job that I really it was those were shoes that were too big for me too, uh-huh. but I fit my way into them, and I figured out how to walk in them, and that launched a 22 year career in IT. Uh, that carried me through most of my adult life.
0: Yeah, which brings us sounds like to your forties, which you keep referring to. So let's yeah. dive in, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I mean, I started my the decade of my forties uh, in a you know senior role in IT. I'd been in a number of different organizations, kind of bouncing from one place to the next, trying to find a place where I could be happy. Um, and I had moved from being a technical person to being a people person, managing, being a director, eventually made my way to president of a, a tech company. Um, that uh, I loved parts of the job because it got me into leadership, but I was still just pursuing these things that were about somebody else, was still trying to take out the garbage. Um, I wasn't really considering do i want to look at the blue sky instead and lie on the grass <laughs> you know to come yeah. back to that metaphor um and i hit um uh, you know a uh, few years ago i realized i can't do this anymore i i i, I had hit burnout uh, at least once where i had to just stop working for a month um came back doubled down did more work and i, I eventually realized this is the end of the line i, I if if i don't stop doing this um i'm going to you know really you know, do some harm to myself, uh, mentally, emotionally.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and where'd you go? So,
1: um, a couple of years ago, two and a half years ago, um, I walked into my boss's office with a resignation letter. I said, I'm leaving. And she said, well, where are you going to? And I said, I don't know. I didn't have any plan. Um, I, um, uh, you may know this about me. I'm, a, I'm an improv comedian, at least when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. I've been doing that for several years. And we like to say in improv that it's, you know, you jump out of the plane and you you build your wings on the way down. Uh, that's what I did with my career. As I said, I need to jump out of the plane and I'll figure out how to build some wings on the way down.
0: And were you what uh, was improv uh, a part of your life at that point?
1: Yeah, I got into it uh, almost six years ago. Um, I followed my kids into it. My kids, I get to say that they they influenced me there, and um, and that that really provided a mindset shift for me. Where you know, in improv, we get to follow our foot. You know, when we're on the sideline in a scene, and our foot starts telling us it wants to be in the scene before our head does. Sometimes we get an inspiration and urge, and when we follow our foot in an improv show uh, good things tend to happen because we're not trying to think and be witty we're just going with what's already there and our our intuitive sense our uh, somatic wisdom uh, and let our head catch up later on really be in it uh, get out of our head into our body so to speak and you know that instinct came in handy i had been doing that for several years When I, you know, followed my foot into my boss's office with a resignation letter and and said, I'm going to see what happens in this scene next.
0: And thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Jim Young, for this first part of our conversation. If you want to learn more about Jim, check the program notes. You can find him on LinkedIn and you can also visit his website, The Centered Coach. The Centered, just like it sounds, The Centered Coach. Dot com And if you want to reach out to me, you can do so on my website, Cirrus Leadership. That's Cirrus is in the cloud, C-I-R-R-U-S, leadership.com. Come by, check out what I'm going on. There's two cohorts of I Am program. That's my uh, men's program, my 13-week men's program that are launching in September of 2021 One in the morning and one in the evening, Eastern Time. Would love to see you there. And, of course, you can find uh, ways of getting in touch with me there. Sign up for my weekly musings and so much more. And just a quick reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, I look forward to seeing you back here next week for part two of my conversation with Jim Young. Be well. Take care.